Well, it's great to be in South Africa. It's great to be a guest speaker so that if there's anything you don't like, you don't have to uh, blame it on me. You can blame it on Drew and Jenna. So it's great to, to be a part of that. Uh, we're traveling through Africa for eight months. We work with uh, a leader in 30 countries, and we're kind of having a Paul ministry experience. We come in and we work with the leader. In South Africa, we work with a beautiful denomination called the Apostolic Faith Mission. Um, if you don't know AFM, you need to get to know AFM. Uh, it has stretched us tremendously working with them. But they have their, their national conference in Cape Town this next week, and we work with a guy by the name of Mwande Imnatoza. And so we're here, and then from here we go to Angola, and from there to Namibia, and from there to Madagascar, and from there for DRC Kinshasa, and from there to Zambia, and from there to Tanzania, and then Cameroon, and then Ghana, and then Sierra Leone, and then Liberia, and then we're off the continent June 7th. So uh, you can pray for us, and that also explains the shirt that I'm wearing. If it looks a little wrinkled, we're living out of a suitcase and a backpack, and so uh, uh, that explains that. Uh, just coming from Harare, Zimbabwe a couple weeks ago, and uh, we started church at 9 o'clock and we finished about 2, so I don't know what you have planned the rest of the day, but uh, it's great to be among you today. So let me open us up in a word of prayer, and then we'll go after it. Father, we come before you today. God, thank you for being a 100% Savior. Lord, we thank you that you didn't die for 92% of us. Thank you that you did not die for just our Sunday self. God, we're a wreck. We're a mess. Uh, so much of our life is all over the place. And God, you did not die for us to pretty ourselves up on Sunday, to, to pull off the mask. But God, you died for us to really change us to be more like you. So God, we thank you for the church. God, I thank you for one hope. I thank you for what you're doing here. And God, I pray today, God, that you would grab our hearts. I pray, God, that you would do something that would be supernatural. I pray, God, that we would walk away not full of ourselves or full of one another, but full of you. So God, we just thank you for the leadership of Paul. We thank you for the leadership of this church. We thank you, God, just for the, the genius of Jesus to come up with the idea of a church. If it was left to Americans, we'd do church around a living room television. But God, you bring us together because there's something in the coming together that changes us. And so God, we thank you for that today. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Take your Bibles and open them up to Acts chapter 4. Uh, we sang a great song, I Love That We Believe. And let's just go over a few things that we do believe in our faith. There's a lot of things we could do. We probably, that could be a pretty cool service, just having a We Believe service. And just having people stand and saying, this is what we believe. But a couple of things. We believe that as Christians we can know God. How about that? God is not this distant God that was left out there somewhere, but God revealed himself to us so that we can know him. How about that? We can know the creator God. Not only can we know about him, but we can know him. Can you believe that? Wherever you are in your spiritual journey, we have a God that's knowable and we have a God that we can be known. But there's more than that. Not only can we know God, but that God that we know lives inside of us. A God that indwells his people. We don't come to church to get God at church. The Holy Spirit dwells within us. We have an amazing faith for things we believe. God dwells within. But not only can we know him and not only does he dwell within but the Bible says that, that we can become like Jesus. Can you imagine? That we can become like the God that we serve. We can begin to think like him. We can begin to act like him. You ready for this? We can begin to love like him. Wow. 
But not only do we believe that, we also believe something that, that, that kind of is shocking is that we need one another to become like Jesus. Let me say that again because I am an American, and if you know anything about American culture, we're, we're, we're individualistic. We come to church in order to hear something about our life so that we can leave. I got a good friend of mine in America that was at the church that I pastored, and he said, Ernie, all I want to do on Sunday is to come, sit down, listen to you, and leave without engaging with anybody. And he was being serious. And so the other thing that I want to talk about today is that we need one another to become like Jesus. Would you turn to the person that's sitting next to you right now, and I want you to do two things. First of all, just look to them and say, I need you in my life. Can you do that right now? Do that right now, all right? And if you are a man and you're married, do that twice to your wife, all right? All right, I need you. Now, now, sit, now turn to them because you just said, I need you, would you now turn to them and say this, and you need me? Would you do that right now? <laughs> you need me. You need me. All right? You need me. Why is that the case? We have these things called blind spots. We have these things called weaknesses. We have this thing that operates in all of our hearts called self-deception. And over time, we can deceive ourselves that we're okay, and, and I need a regular interaction with other believers Let's say, Ernie, man, it's so great to be around you, but you're smelling a lot like yourself. Everything you talk about has the first person singular in it, I, 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 I. And we need other people that, that challenge us. We need other people because we don't see those blind spots in our life. We need other people for that. I understand that y'all are a church that's moving to small groups and operating in that. To be honest with you, I really don't like small groups. I really don't like pooled ignorance. You know, I don't like to sit around and hear from somebody, you know, and just... You know, but I need small groups. Are you listening to me? I, I'm a pastor, and I really don't like small groups. My wife loves them. I don't. You know, I love one-on-ones. I love one-on-fours. But small groups, it's just, but I need them. And I need to be confronted. And I need a place that I learn to interact with people that are different than me. And I learn to show grace in those environments. And I learn to listen instead of talk. I need atmospheres like that. So today, I want us to look at the power of encouragement. If you're taking notes, I want to look at the Barnabas effect today. We're in Acts chapter 4 just for a little bit, and then we're going to be in Acts chapter 9. But I want us to look at the Barnabas effect. Uh, Barnabas was a, a guy in the New Testament that I've just really fallen in love with. Uh, Barnabas was a guy that, that every time the early church took a step of faith, Barnabas was at the front of that. From Acts 4 to Acts 15, Barnabas is there six times. Let me give you the six places. We're only going to be in two of those. Acts chapter 4, Acts chapter 9, Acts chapter 11, Acts 13, and then two times in Acts 15. And then after Acts 15, we don't see him anymore, and we're going to look at that in a minute. But everywhere that we see Barnabas showing up, the church was changing. Every time Barnabas was at the front of something, the church was doing something different. And why that's significant is because the church of Jesus Christ is a forward-thinking movement. doesn't always seem like that. In some places, the church seems irrelevant. But the church of Jesus Christ is a forward-thinking movement. And to be a forward-thinking movement, it needs people like Barnabas that are adding value to every step that the church takes. And it's okay if you say amen every now and then, all right? I've been speaking in African churches for the last four months, and I enjoy the interaction. And so let me just free you up. If the Holy Spirit does move you to move your lips to say amen, I do respond to that. Amen? Look at you. Man, I like this church, okay? 
So we're going to look at the Barnabas effect, and we're going to look at the power of encouragement, is that we need encouragement. Encouragement brings out and releases the potential of God's people. As you are turning to Acts chapter 4, let me just tell you about my mom. My mom was a game changer in my life. I was 22 years old. I had just graduated, as Drew said, from Wheaton College. I had played a a sport called American football, and I was coming off the drug of American football, trying to move into another aspect of my life. Uh, I was at one of those places where I didn't know what to do with my life, and so Texas A&M University was about 45 minutes away. I drove up there to enroll to become a teacher and a coach. Uh, sounded like a good thing to do. It's, I was impacted by my high school coaches. Why don't I go doing the, the same? So I drove up there, drove back. It was a rainy day. Every car that our family had, the radio didn't work. So I was just kind of stuck with my thoughts. And they were not good thoughts. I was just kind of in this place where I thought I wanted to do something, but I didn't feel right about it. I got home, and my mom met me at the door. And understand, my mom is the daughter of a Southern Baptist preacher. If that doesn't mean anything to you, it means Southern Baptists are are Bible thumpers. And my mom was a daughter of a Bible thumping pastor. And she met me at the door and she said, how did it go? And I said, mom, it just didn't go all that well. And she said, what do you mean by that? And I said, I just don't think I need to be doing that. I, I, I don't think I need to be doing that, but I don't know what I need to do. And without any hesitation, my mom looked at me and she said, I know exactly what you need to do. And I kind of looked at her like, what? Are you reading off a script? And she said, yeah, you need to be a preacher. I said, What? A preacher? I mean, I'm, fam- I'm comfortable with the back of the church, and I like to make jokes about the preacher at the front. You're asking me to be at the guy at the front? She said, yeah. And I said, Mom, how can you say that? And she said, three things. And I'm looking at her like, are you reading something? Because we've never had this conversation. She said, yeah, three things. She said, number one, ever since you've been little, you've had a heart for God. And she was right about that. Uh, ever since I was a little kid, I responded to the Word, enjoyed being in the Bible. She said, number two. She said, you've loved people, and she's right about that. I do enjoy people. And she said, number three, you're big and loud, and God uses big and loud people. <laughs> I couldn't argue with her. I could not argue with her. And uh, what's interesting about it is we've never had that conversation before, and we've never had it since, but that one conversation changed my life forever. Got on the phone, and I called. T- this was back when they had phones that were connected to the wall, Got on the phone and I called A&M and I unenrolled and then got on the phone and I called Dallas Theological Seminary and I said I want to become a, a seminarian or a cemeterian. I don't know what the difference was at that point. But one conversation with my mom changed my life. The power of life upon life. The power of my mom knowing me as a naked little boy that came out of the womb and seeing me grow up. And one day God put it upon her heart to have a conversation that has changed the direction of my life. And my, Ann and I, we go to Africa, and I meet Drew Harding. And one conversation with my mom about ministry sends us to Africa, and we meet Drew, and the chain reaction begins to take place. Is that not amazing? Would you just look around this church right now? Would you just look around right now to one another? And that's what the church is about. It's what the church is about. When we look at the church in Scripture, we don't see pews. When we look at the church in Scripture, we don't see really buildings. When we look in church in Scripture, we see a dynamic. And we see a dynamic of of life on life. We see a dynamic of life on life that when life came life on life, the collision of a life and a collision of life reproduced not just in the same kind of life, but in a different kind of life. Amen for that? Is that the things that go on inside of, of church 
are not the kind of things that produce typical Stellenbosch life, but that the things that go on in a church are able to produce something that's beyond just the earthly. It it produces a transformational change in our life that calls something out of us that would not be called out of us in any different way. I want to be a part of something like that. I don't want to be a part of religion. I don't want to come to a place that we're just uh, rehearsing tired ideas from ancient men in the past that we cannot pronounce their names. I want to be a part of a movement that is producing fresh, alive people for Jesus Christ so that the day comes when we will stand in front of Jesus and he will say, church, what did you do for me? And we will have something to say to him. I want to be a part of that. But we need to be reminded that that will not happen individually. It will not come from you going to a seminar. It will not come from you reading a book by yourself with a cup of coffee. It's going to come from people that are not impressed by you. It will come from people that you are willing to drop your guard with to open up your heart and to open up your life and to open up your potential so that somebody else God will use to bring out of you something that you never thought was possible. So I want us to look at Barnabas today. I think you're going to fall in love with them. How many times? Six times in the first 15 chapters? Do you have those chapters again? Before, half of you didn't write them down because you didn't know why you were writing them down. So let me give them to you again. All right? Before, it was just church talk. Hopefully, there's some energy to it now. Acts 4, Acts 9, Acts 11, Acts 13, and then Acts 15 in two places. Six times. Okay? Let's look at Acts 4. Look at Acts 4. The title of this message is The Barnabas Effect. And we're looking at the power of encouragement. Verse uh, 36, it's the last couple verses of chapter 4. The other verses talked about this. Ah, let's read those two. Why not? We're going to be out of here at 2. Verse 32. All the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of his possessions was his own, but they shared everything they had. This was the new community. With great power, the apostles continue to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And much what? Grace was upon them all. There was no needy persons among them. From time to time, those who owned lands or houses sold them, brought the money from the cells, and put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone as he had need. Da-da-da-da, enter Joseph. Verse 36, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called who? Barnabas, which means what? Son of encouragement. Look at verse 37. What does a discipled church member look like? He sold a field he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. Church attendance is not the sign of a disciple. The sign of a disciple is their heart towards Jesus. And one of the primary ways a person's heart towards Jesus expresses itself in 21st century South Africa is that their wallets are discipled. Are you with me? Our wallets are shaped like what? They're shaped like our heart. And here we have the first mention of Joseph right here, Barnabas, right here in chapter 4. And he's selling property, and he's not buying a place overlooking the George Coast. He's, buying, he's taking that profit, and he's laying it at the apostles' feet, and he's saying what? I'm under submission to the Lord, now I'm bringing my money for you to use in any way possible. How about that? He's the kind of guy I would like to have in a church. He's the kind of guy that understands the lordship of Jesus Christ. It's the kind of person that understands what their life is about. At the end of the day, it's not going to be about accumulation, is it? Because we can't take it with us. So that at the end of the day, if we can't take it with us, then therefore what? All that stuff, this side of heaven, has got to be used for the glory of the Lord. That's what Barnabas is teaching us. Let's just go over to chapter 9 now. 
Let's go to Acts chapter 9. We could spend more time on that, but I just wanted to set the stage for the kind of person that Barnabas was. He was a game changer. Everywhere Barnabas is showing up, things are changing. Acts chapter 9. Let me just say it out loud. You can respond. What is Acts chapter 9 about? Anybody? Does does anybody know Acts 9? If you don't know Acts 9, you need to know Acts 9. What's Acts 9 about? The conversion of conversion of Saul to Paul. Acts 9 is the game-changing chapter in the book of Acts. What kind of God would take an Osama bin Laden and make him the primary communicator of the Word of God? That's what God does in Acts chapter 9. And I'm not preaching Acts chapter 9 because we're looking at verses 26 to 28. But you know Acts chapter 9, God is up to something. Maybe a sub-thing you can write in your notes right now is this is what kind of person disciples the Apostle Paul? The Apostle Paul is going to become primary discipler in the New Testament. What kind of person would God use in order to change Paul's life? So we got this guy named Ananias. This is a great section. you got to look at this, verse 13. Uh, Go back to verse 11. Uh, Go back to verse 10. I'm in a new Bible. I had the same Bible for 26 years, and and the, 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 the verses aren't on the same page. In Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called to him and said, Yo, Ananias. And yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord said, Go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying in a vision. He has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. I love verse 13. This is just classic. Uh, Lord, Ananias answered, uh, I have heard many reports about this young man and all the harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And he has come here with authority from the chief priest to arrest all who call on your name. But the Lord said to Ananias, go, this man is my chosen instrument to carry my name before the Gentiles and their kings and before the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. And then Ananias went to the house and entered it, placing his hands on Saul. He said, brother Saul. Doesn't that say something about Ananias? He doesn't say Saul. He says what? Brother Saul. He uses intimate language the first time he meets him. It's pretty powerful. Brother Saul. The Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes, and he could see again. He got up and was baptized, and after taking some food, he regained his strength. Are we not part of a movement? Are we not part of something alive where God is taking people that are so, so, so antithetical to everything that we believe in and changes them so that they might become the leaders. Man, our God is something else. If you're here today and you struggle with your own usability in the eyes of God, just understand God has an amazing way to overcome your unusability. God is in the business of using very unordinary or very unselectable people in ways that transform the world. I love this. But we're not staying in this passage. Let's move a little bit on. All right, we're just setting the context. So if you're Saul and you've got to get a platform to be used, you've got to get who? The apostolic leadership to believe in you. So let's jump down to verse 26. I want to look at three characteristics of great encouragers that come out of these three verses. I want to have my daughter come up and read these three verses right now. Maddie, would you come up? And then Anne, would you pray for us again? Madison Fry, 15 years old, United States of America. Twenty-six to twenty-eight. Okay. Um, Acts nine twenty-six to twenty-eight. When he came to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, 
But they were all afraid of him, not believing that he really was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. He told them how Saul on his journey had seen the Lord and that the Lord had spoken to him, and how in Damascus he had preached fearlessly in the name of Jesus. So Saul, Saul stayed with them and moved about freely in Jerusalem, speaking boldly in the name of the Lord. He talked and debated with the Grecian Jews, but they tried to kill him. Great. Don't want you just to read this passage. Can you feel this passage? Can you feel the dynamic? The greatest threat to your movement is now trying to enter your movement. Can you imagine? The greatest threat to your movement is now knocking on the door to be accepted into your movement. Can you imagine? How would you be thinking? How would you be thinking about what you were thinking? By and large, most of us think about how we feel. I've heard the, the reports. Immediately we would put up what? Immediately we would put up walls of resistance. Immediately we would close our heart. We Immediately truth would kick in. Immediately we'd say stuff like, yeah, 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 I hear you, but, 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 but I'm going to wait until I see what change that comes off of you. So look at what we have in these verses. All of that's going on. You're talking about a sociological experiment. Look at this. When he came to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, and then there's that three little uh, English word, three-letter English word that says what? But. He tried to join the disciples, but the very people that he needed the approval from, what? Resisted him. But, but they were all afraid of him, not believing that he was really a disciple. Let's come up for air for just a minute. Can you relate to these disciples that express that? Can you relate to that? Said another way, most of us would be there. Because we are a people that are generated by what we hear, by what we read, and what we see in the news. They resisted him. Verse 27, what, how does your uh, uh, version pick up verse 27? Is it the, th- the three-letter word? All right. But the disciples resisted him. But what? Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. The question you need to write down in your notes right now is what was unique to Barnabas that was so different than everybody else? Why did everybody else put a no up and Barnabas said, but Barnabas? What was about him? Write this in your notes. Acts 11.24. Acts 11.24 says this about Barnabas. He was a good man filled with faith and the Holy Spirit. He was a good man filled with faith and the Holy Spirit. Said another way, Barnabas did not look at people and circumstances with his eyes. Barnabas looked at circumstances at people with his heart that had been redeemed. 
man, I like this guy because I have an addiction to sight, and so do you. Barnabas was guided by faith and the Holy Spirit. And because he was guided by those things, Barnabas was different. Because of that, Barnabas saw things that other people didn't see. Watch this progression. Barnabas saw things that other people didn't see. He did things that other people did not do. And as a result, he what? He accomplished things that other people did not accomplish. Why? Because he was filled with what? He was filled with the Holy Spirit. And he was filled with faith. We are living in the middle of a South African moment right now. The history of your country is on the line. Amen? And it's waiting to be flushed out. What's going to happen? This event that took place that was supposed to change everything has not changed everything. Should it ever change that way? Politics doesn't move the world. Christ's people move the world. So therefore, if Christ's people move the world, what kind of a Christ-filled person is going to move the world? And Barnabas was filled with what? He was filled with faith. And he was filled with the Holy Spirit so that he did not see things with his eyes. He saw things through the lens of a God-shaped heart. Wow. I love that. I love that. Oh, God, help me to be like that. Help us to be like that. But Barnabas took him, and not only did he just say something about Saul, look what he does. Barnabas took him. I think he grabbed him by the shoulder. I don't know what it was. I don't know if Barnabas was a a chest-thumper guy. I like to think that. Barnabas took him and and brought him to the the apostles. He told them how Saul on his journey had seen the Lord and that the Lord had spoken to him and how in Damascus he had preached fearlessly in the name of Jesus. As a result, verse 28, what happened? So Saul stayed with them and moved what? about freely in Jerusalem, speaking boldly in the name of the Lord. Wow. Wow. This upcoming week, most of us in here will have approximately 25 to 50 relational encounters. From the person you get gas with to the person that you pick out your mushrooms. I love mushrooms at the market. I saw some today. I've already had Biltong before breakfast. Can you imagine? Had a little exchange with the Biltong woman. All right? You're going to have about 25 to 50 encounters with people. Can you imagine what would happen if you looked at those encounters from the perspective of a person filled with faith and filled with the Holy Spirit? Can you imagine that? Can you imagine thinking ahead of time, every person I meet I'm going to season that relationship with a perspective of God above. And when I ask how somebody's doing, I'm going to listen not just with my ears, but with my eyes and my heart so that I can respond in such a way to bring what? A Christ response to that. Man alive, we are different people. We are not people that are weighted down by the news of power. What do they call it? Power shedding? Load shedding. There it is. We're not weighted down by that. Obstacles are opportunities for Christians, right? It's where we live. We're different people. And that was Barnabas. So let me give you three things about great encouragers. I know that we've got to get out of here in a little bit. What time are we supposed to finish? My wife wants to know this. Huh? 11-ish. Wow, we've got to get going. 12-ish. I like that. Remember, Harari's got you by 2 o'clock, okay? We got home from lunch at 4.30. Anyway. Three things about great encouragers. Are you ready? 
Are you ready? Number one, what did Barnabas do in this? Number one, Barnabas identified the strengths of Paul before Paul even knew that. Barnabas and great encouragers are able to identify the strengths in somebody else before they even know that themselves. My mom, at 22 years of age, she looked at me and she saw something that I had never seen before in my life. There was no way in the world that I was ever going to become a minister. I was comfortable in my, you know, sarcastic self in the back. And my mom saw something in me that was from the Lord, but she spoke that into me and she spoke that out of me. She saw something. If you're a parent that is in this room today, God has placed you in a place with your children to be the primary Barnabas and Barnabina to your children's lives. Wives, I do not take your Barnabina capacity lightly. Wives have a way of speaking into their children's lives in ways that bring about all kinds of beautiful spiritual activity. The home is one of the most dangerous places in raising dangerous kids for the next generation. And it comes from parents that are what? They're not looking with physical eyes. Yeah, sports is good. Yeah, drama's good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But what's important in that home is that Jesus Christ is alive in your child's life. You know, you have the gift. Maddie, bringing her up, uh, she read scripture, but to really see Maddie is when she prays. Man, God comes alive in that girl's life. And she, it was all the way back when she was just a little kid. Converting her dolls up in the bedroom. I remember hearing her, you know, leading them to Jesus. She had three groups of dolls. You know, the mature ones, the, 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 the fence riders, and then the ones that needed Jesus. And that was from a young age. Praise God for that. So, so, so a big encouragement is that we identify things. Amen for that? For those of you guys that work in the corporate world, which is probably 95% of you, most of the guys that you work around have no spiritual advisors in their life. And all it does to make waves in this generation is to be interested in people. A great encourager is a person that asks people questions. Hey, man, tell me about this. You listen. They respond. You follow that up with another question. They respond. You follow that up with another question. And then after about three of those, a guy looks at you and he said, you know what? I've never told anybody this stuff I'm telling you. And you know what you're doing? You're you're just having a spiritual conversation. You're just asking questions. Hey, dude, you know what? I've noticed something about you. Yeah, you're gifted to our company, but you have an incredible ability to discern truth. Guy looks at you like, where are you coming from? And that's the power of why God placed you in that business that you're in. It's not for your wallet. But God has placed you there to be God's kingdom agent. To bring your life and somebody else's life together in that. I'm 54, soon to be 55. I need Barnabas's in my life. I need somebody. And it happened today in prayer. I was down on my knees before this service And somebody spoke a word into my life that I needed at that moment. It was this prayer. We lift up Ernie and we pray for clarification in his life as they go through this African journey. I don't even think the person praying for actually knew that this has been a burning question in my life. But they spoke it in in, in such a personal kind of a way. Amen for that. Man, identify the strengths and the gifts in other people. All right, but there's more to that. Number two, not only do great encouragers identify, Barnabas took it to another level. Question, if Saul had been a flop, 
Who would the early of church have looked to? Would they have looked to Saul or would they have looked to Barnabas? If Saul had been a flop, the apostolic leadership there, would they have blamed Saul or would they have blamed Barnabas? If you're going to make a difference in somebody else's life, you're going to have to attach your reputation to the reputation of somebody else. See, Jesus did not call us to have churches to do church. Jesus called us to make disciples. And church is a means of making disciples. And if we're going to make disciples, you can't make disciples from the pulpit. You can encourage, you can inspire, you can celebrate. But disciples have to be made in proximity. So said another way, a year from now, there's going to be people in this church that are not here right now, and a year from now, they're going to be here, not because they left some other church to come here, they're going to be in this church, why? Because right now, they're not in the Lord, but they're going to meet you, and they're going to be in the Lord, and then they're going to be at this church a year from now, why? Because you're investing your life in them. And right now, they're probably using profanity, and right now, they're probably laughing at humor that's probably coarse. Right now, they're probably having some activities that we would not condone. And if we're going to be put off by the very people that God has called us to, then therefore, we're going to have to be willing to attach our reputation to somebody else's reputation to bring them to the place of where Jesus is. Amen for that? Man alive. That's why sometimes I do not like being around religious people. Because religious people separate themselves from the very people that God calls us to be a part of. Yeah, it's good to live in holiness. Yeah, it's good to to get away from addictive things. But if I totally separate myself into the Christian community, who's going to reach the lost world that's out there? God's called us to reach lost people. He hasn't told us just to stay in community. Praise God for small groups. We need small groups. But we need small groups to do what? Come inward so that we can go outward. We come inward so we can go outward so that we can bring the outward inward, right? And so if we're going to see that happen, Barnabas teaches this this lesson of about attaching our reputation to the reputation of other people so that their reputation might become like Jesus' reputation. Amen for that? Wow. 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 Right now, do you have some people in mind that you can just write down in your notes? Who, Who is God using right now to draw you to some people that you have not thought about in these terms before. It's going to be a mess. It's going to be messy. It's going to be one step forward, four steps back, three steps forward, two steps back, 12 steps forward, one step back. And before you know it, that person's going to be a small group leader in this church. And before you know it, a call of God's going to be on that guy's life to go do some ministry in one of the townships around here. Before you know it, that guy is going to start spawning all kinds of activity because you took a step of obedience to get close to somebody who's not close to God right now, but your step to them brought them close to God. I love that. We are a dangerous community. We're not a safe community. We are a dangerous community that takes risk into people's lives. The gospel never moved forward out of safety. In fact, without persecution, it would have stayed in Jerusalem singing praise songs. But because of persecution, it moved out, right? The church is at its greatest when it's threatened the most because when it's threatened, it's forced to do things that it would normally not do. And one of those things is to attach ourselves. Amen? So number one, identify. Number two, what? Attach. Number three, great, great encouragers release the potential of other people 
even if that person's potential surpasses yours. Are you with me? This is a huge African church issue. Great encouragers release the potential of other people, even if it means what? That person's potential passing you. Let me get and let me place this in the text. Like I said, six times Barnabas from Acts 1 to Acts 15. After Acts 15, there's 28 chapters. We don't hear of Barnabas anymore after uh, chapter 15. Why? Because after chapter 15 of Acts, all we hear of is who? Paul. So God used Barnabas to disciple Paul so that after that discipleship, Paul then did what? Paul was used by God in a way that no other body in the New Testament was ever used. Why? Because Barnabas discipled Paul. But if Barnabas had had an ego, but if Barnabas had been concerned about himself, but if Paul had been concerned about keeping the giftedness of gifted leaders underneath him, what? Paul would have never become who Paul was. Uh, We're touring Africa right now, and it has been a tremendous buffet. We've been in about how many, Maddie, countries in Africa? 13 countries. We're supposed to be in about 30 by the time we finish We're in these countries, we have a chance to get inside it, and it has been a beautiful buffet. God is alive on this continent. He's alive. He's alive in places that you would not predict him to be alive in. He's alive among pastors that you would not predict him to be alive among. Sometimes in the churches that have the least amount of resources, God is alive the most. I was with a guy just two days ago in Malawi. You know what his salary is for a month in Malawi? $21. And we took him out for dinner that night and spent $28 on dinner. I was right in the middle of dinner thinking how ironic this is. And he knows it too because he's reading the menu of how much the pizzas cost. And yet that guy, God is using him in an animus culture up in northern Malawi. Everybody in his church has come out of spirit worship in the last year. And God's using him. And he has joy on his face. And he says, I can't explain it. We make it, but I only make about 21 bucks a month. He bikes, outside of rainy season, he bikes 15 kilometers each way to go pasture. Bikes in shorts, he carries his preaching outfit in a bag, preaches, hikes back, or puts back on his bike in shorts. During rainy season, which is three months, he walks 15 kilometers each way. We've had a privilege to be a part of that. We've also seen the reality of, of church-based leadership that in the African context, you have leaders that are threatened by gifted people. So therefore, they keep everybody around them underneath them. And they're really afraid to to be having a message like I'm having today because maybe there's somebody in the church that's really gifted, and if that gifted person gets what? Released, that person might take my job. Or that person might take the offering that comes to me. So therefore, what they do in the African church is they just cut the legs of people out from underneath them. Not physically, but they just keep everybody underneath them. But that's not Barnabas. Barnabas realized that he had been put on the planet to be a Barnabas in other people's lives. And so therefore, God saw fit that I can bring Saul to Barnabas because I know that Barnabas will point him in the direction of Jesus. Can you imagine for a church to gain that reputation? I'd be very careful before I go to One Hope. Because if you go to One Hope and you get involved in that community, there are people in that community that are going to so come alive in your life that you're going to leave differently from that place. Yeah, they got good preaching, and and yeah, they got good music. They got all that stuff, but there's a dynamic in that place that you leave differently than from how you went in. I'd be very careful before I go there because that church is going to rearrange your priorities if you go there. 
If you go there, you're going to start thinking thoughts that you never thought before. Where before you went there, you were thinking about square footage and the second home and all that stuff that people in the West think about. But I started going to One Hope, and I began to realize that God had raised me up for such a time as this for different things. And some people began pouring into my life, and as they poured into my life, my life began to change. My life began to change. Amen. Two questions I want you to write down. We're at about the fourth quarter of the message for those who like to know where you are in the service. Two questions. Who is your Barnabas and who are you Barnabasing? Who is your Barnabas? If you're a man specifically here today and you do not have a Barnabas, you need to get a Barnabas. Go find one. A Barnabas is a person that is speaking into your life. A Barnabas is a person that's asking you hard questions. A Barnabas is asking you when you fly and when you travel, what are you doing with your eyes at night? Those are questions that men who follow Jesus need to have somebody in their life. I have a pastor back home that on this trip, he's just asking me how good of a job I'm, I'm doing in loving Anne. We're living in pretty intense intimacy during this time. So I have a, a Barnabas in my life that is asking me those hard questions. And if you do not have a Barnabas, particularly as men in here, if you do not have a Barnabas, you need to find a Barnabas. And here's how the conversation would go. I need you more than I ever can imagine. I need you to speak into my life. I need you to ask me godly questions about how I'm doing because I want to be somebody that runs hard after Jesus. Would you be that to me? And I'm saying that to men because women, y'all do this naturally. And women, y'all are dangerous disciple makers. Talk about your heart. The meeting was supposed to go 9 to 10. You get out of there at 2.30. I mean, what's going on? I mean, men come for the food and a little bit of, you know, short exchange about rugby, and then we're out of there, all right? So I'm saying that to men, particularly, who's our Barnabas? And now I'm saying this to everybody. Who are, who are we Barnabasing? Who are we coming alongside, and what are we doing? Three things that Barnabases do. What do they do? They what? They identify. Number two, they attach. You cannot attach from a distance. And number three, they do what? Release. They release. I want you to see this video. It's a pretty cool video. It's from the 1992 Olympics. 1992 Olympics. It's going to be on the screen. Here it is. Derek Redmond right there, lane six. The Great Britain 400-meter uh, champion. He's in the Olympics. 200, he's running pretty good right there. Watch what happens. Watch what happens. Right here. Game over. If you're an athlete, you pull a hamstring, his race is over. I was watching this. 1992, I was in seminary studying to be a cemeterian. So they, they, they're, they, they, they show the finish, and now look, look at him, he's up. Watch this very closely. Watch what happens. It's amazing. Barnabases, 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 Barnabases. Watch what happens. That's not artificial face right there. That's real pain. Look at this guy. Comes out of the stadium. Who does that at the Olympics? Watch this interaction coming up here in just a minute. Here comes the official. Look at this. 
Get your hands off of him. Get your hands off of him. I was watching this live, and I was watching it as an athlete. And I was watching it as an athlete. Tears were coming to my my face. It's a long... Here he is. Here he is. Here he is. And he crosses the finish line. When I was watching this live, the videographer, he takes the microphone and he puts it in front of the man's face and he says, I got two questions for you. He said, who are you and why did you do what you did? He said, I'm Derek's father. (laughs) And I've seen how hard he's worked. And I've watched the alarm clock go off in the morning, and I've seen him get up, and I've saw how much he's worked, and I wanted to see my son cross the finish line. I started off crying as an athlete, and I finished crying as a pastor, because this is what Jesus Christ has done for us. Jesus Christ did what? He he came off the cross to come down and pick us up, because something had happened to us that was much deeper and much more painful than a hamstring. We were going in an opposite direction, addicted to the drug of self, and when you're on the drug of self, all kinds of things happen. He came down, picked us up, took us to the cross so that we might cross the finish line. That's what Jesus has done for us. Jesus has identified. Jesus has what? Attached. And Jesus has released what? His potential in us. Amen for that. Let's pray right now. There's no passage in Scripture that says you have to pray with your eyes closed. I don't know where we learn that. So I want to give you the freedom to pray with your eyes open today. But I believe that the power of encouragement changes us. I'm different today because of a lady by the name of Shirley Ann Fry who saw something in me that changed me, and she spoke that into me. Can you imagine a church of 200 people today moving out with a Barnabas capacity into the community that God has called us? If that doesn't encourage you, I don't know what does. This is the South African moment. It's the one hope moment. Will we be a people that are obedient Monday through Saturday and not just on Sunday? Will we be a people that God uses beyond our wildest imagination? Let's pray right now. What would happen if? What would happen if? What would happen if we truly realized what you've done for us? God, what would happen if we realized that you have spoken life into us? Lord, I'm a performer. I love to do. I love to accomplish. I loved athletics because we conquered things. But in Christianity, you have conquered us. You've done for us what we can't do for ourselves, so that we might be used in other people's lives to help them become and do what they thought they could never do themselves. Jesus, we want to declare today that you're a genius. The way that you have so orchestrated 
lives is that we cannot become people apart from other people in our life. So Lord, today we want to begin at the place of repentance. If you're here today and you are not involved in people's lives, nor you're not even thinking about that, then I pray, God, that we would all repent right now. Repent of our individualism, repent of our need of thinking that we can get by on our own. Repent of thinking that we can make it through this journey apart from intimate involvement in lives and having other people in our lives. God, I just repent of my own selfishness. I repent of my own dependence on myself. I repent of my reliance on my strength. God, I also repent of my selfishness from not using my time in ways that benefit other people. God, I pray that you would give us just an attraction and an addiction to other people. Not to their praise of us, but God, to their condition. That God, you might use us in their lives. So God, I pray for a step that all of us can take this week. I pray that we might be able to take a step of obedience to you one way this week. Of moving towards uh, a possible Barnabas in our life. A mentor. Or moving in the direction of being a disciple maker in somebody else's life. God, we pray that that would happen. God, we pray also a year from now that this church would be profoundly sociologically different because, God, of the change that you're going to bring, not because of church transfers, but because, God, of people far from Christ becoming close to Christ because, God, you've used us in their lives. We want to see that happen, God. We want to see that happen at One Hope, and we want to see that happen in the Rainbow Nation. In your mighty name we pray, amen.